All right, so I was thinking about uh, Stretch Armstrong. You remember Stretch Armstrong? <laughs> I'm familiar with him. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. The man or the toy? <laughs> the 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 toy based on the man. Okay. And um, and I was thinking that uh, they they could have taken all those other like little crappy toys that only did one thing when we were kids. And and put them into Stretch Armstrong and make like the greatest toy on earth. Like if they took Stretch Armstrong and then they made his skin out of the stuff they put in Shrinky Dinks, but then they put his muscles made out of like that expanding foam, like dinosaurs that come in a pill stuff, and uh-huh. and then he could uh, be made out of that like waterproof sand stuff, so he'd never get wet. Okay, I like that. Oh, can he have like the um, the fake eye, like Steve Rogers? Yeah, or Steve absolutely. Austin. I mean, sorry, Steve Austin dead. Where you can look behind his head and see through it because that'd yeah. be awesome. All right, and then his penis could shoot sea monkeys. Let's put the ad in the back of Boy's Life right now. You got it. <laughs> it's time. Time. For a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright, it's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hey there, uh, folks. Uh, Hello and welcome, everyone, to another episode of Interrupted Tales, the show where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and this is my friend Alan. Hey, Rob. How are you? (laughs) I am well. Uh, (laughs) Great. I'm glad we're starting out the podcast on such a positive note. What do you have for us this week? Well, this week I got a a nice little doozy. Uh, It's from Argosy All Story Weekly Magazine, which uh, I know you have a subscription to. Um, This story is from October 21st, 1922, and it's called The Test by M.M. Solomon. So, uh, everybody, uh, go grab a drink. Curl up in your favorite chair, cover yourself up with your softest, coziest blanket, and uh, let's listen to a little bit of the test. The tragic death of Mrs. Chester Rawling, wife of the famous physician, had a most profound effect in the city of Wayne. I hear they build a bunch of fountains. <laughs> I hear Stacy's mom lives there. Hmm. That's the only, that's yeah, the that's only song we do. Stepping suddenly from behind a street car, car, she was a victim of a drunken automobile driver who disregarded all traffic regulations. All of them. Like, uh, you're only supposed to pass on the left after you hit an old lady. Witnesses afterward testified that he was going at least 30 miles an hour when the accident occurred. 30. Okay, so that, I mean, that's the kind of <laughs> tragedy where you go, oh, oh, that's just awful. It's about, um, 30? I mean, oh, that's that's reprehensible, but uh, she, 
She didn't like mosey to the side. <laughs> Listen, in, in 1922, people that was that was the speed of a jet airplane today. Their brains like didn't inflation. work that fast, right? They just couldn't handle it. It was it was like, oh my god, what is this electric steel dragon coming to mow me down? Mm. She died shortly after, Oof. never regaining consciousness. Attending physicians said there was a fracture of the skull as well as internal injuries. The untimely death of his wife was a terrible blow to the doctor. He was deeply in love with her, and her passing away seemed utterly crushing. Until a stowaway Boy Scout and a thousand balloons took him on the adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> I have never cried more in the first five minutes than this story. Um, Dr. Rowling was a specialist in mental diseases, and during his 20 years practice had become famous. Okay, but... I mean, isn't having fractures of your skull in the brain kind of like the most mental of diseases? You, I okay, I guess you couldn't fix that. Okay, <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, yeah. As soon as the news of his wife's death was flashed over the wires, messages of condolence began to pour in from all over the country. Several cable cablegrams came from abroad. Abroad? What was their name? <laughs> <laughs> Many of these messages, however, were never opened by the grief-stricken physician. And they were cast aside like so many value-packed coupons. As is generally the case, following the funeral of Mrs. Rowling, the city began to turn its attention to other matters. In due time, the affair was but part of Wayne's busy life. Dr. Rowling, however, changed from the day his wife was killed. <laughs> Status. It's complicated. <laughs> and slightly flattened. Uh, mm. He immediately lost interest in everything, including his practice, which heretofore had occupied practically every minute of his time. Urgent calls were ignored. Oh, yeah. Um, you say your name is Mary, and you've got the typhoid. Well, uh, it'll work itself out. Uh, <laughs> and on several occasions, he refused to take note of cases that would have paid handsome fees. The association of which he was a president held several meetings to discuss the matter. Committees appointed to wait on him and bring him out of the spell of morbidness acknowledged complete failure. <laughs> Committees? Um, motion to take the doctor out for bubble tea and stop at the duck pond. Uh, is there a second? Thank you. Yes, thank you, and uh, motion carried. What about Dave and Busters? Uh, denied. Oh. Finally, after repeated efforts, they gave up. His personal friends were likewise baffled and agreed among themselves that Mrs. Rawlings' death had completely wrecked her husband. I don't get it. It's baffling. One minute he's fine, the next minute he loses his wife, and he's going around moping. I can't figure the guy out. Three months later, Dr. Rawlings visited the state penitentiary. He had been there on numerous occasions, called to just for funsies. <laughs> called to examine inmates suspected of having mental disorders. He was intimately acquainted with McDermott, the warden, and was given a hearty welcome by the latter. Why, Dr. Rowling, he exclaimed, welcome. We'd about given up the hope of having a visit from you again. Give up hope in a prison. No, that's not how we do around here. <laughs> it's a jolly prison. Uh, the doctor smiled faintly. It has been a long time, Mac. 
he returned. However, I'm here on a matter of business. I'd like to see a man named Lankford, Amos Lankford, who is to be electrocuted Friday. Uh, certainly, Doctor, returned the warden. Just a moment. He pressed a button on the desk, and a moment later instructed the guard that Dr. Rawling be conducted to the death chamber. Oh, yeah, remember when we saw Death Chamber at that Swedish new metal band uh, festival? <laughs> the doctor followed the guide down the long corridor and shortly heard the bolt shoot in the lock, leaving him alone with the doomed man. The prisoner did not look up as Dr. Rawling entered. He sat on the narrow cot, staring sullenly at the blank wall. I'm not here to do you any harm, my friend, said Dr. Rawling, walking over and placing his hand on the other's shoulder. I'm here to do just the opposite. Have you heard about Xenu? <laughs> he has a plan for your life. Uh, the man raised his head and fixed his gaze steadily on the doctor's face. Yes, repeated Dr. Rowling. I came here to cheat the chair. Still, Lankford did not speak. He continued to scrutinize the other man, waiting for him to continue. He had heard so many things since the Supreme Court had affirmed the death sentence that the doctor's words seemed to have no effect whatever. Dr. Rowling sat down by the prisoner. Placing his hand on Lankford's shoulders and looking him straight in the eyes, he continued. I know you're doomed to die, Friday. <laughs> it's kind of what we call an anti-TGIF situation. <laughs> Doomed to Die Fridays uh, has the best chicken wings, though. Oh yeah, they're really overcooked, but they're 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 pretty good. Little, I like them overcooked. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, little little bony, get little some splinters. Crunchy. Yeah, a little mm -hmm. little crunchy, but you mm -hmm. know, in the end, oh, the, no. the sauce is the sauce is okay. Um, I know you're doomed to die Friday, but as I said a moment ago, I came here for no other purpose than to cheat the chair. I am Dr. Chester Rowling. Probably you've heard of me. <laughs> I'm kind of a big player in the whole mentally ill dead man walking game. I'm sure you've had plenty of time to read the newspapers here in your squalid prison. Um, <clears throat> probably you've heard of me. I'm going to speak frankly and make you a proposition. When I'm through, you can decide. Are you ready to listen? Langford nodded. I'm ready to listen to anything, he said dully. Go ahead. Oh, very steely. Thank you. Oh, I was shooting for that. Dr. Rowling cleared his throat. <clears throat> About three months ago, my wife was killed, he began. She was run down by an automobile at the intersection of 5th Street and 23rd Avenue. Between the big lots and the Smoothie King. She died shortly after the accident occurred. Speaking truthfully and from the bottom of my heart, Langford, I am an infidel. Or rather, I was until a few nights ago. I doubted the existence of a supreme being. I scoffed at such a thing as religion. I did not believe in a hereafter. I laughed at all forms of worship. I made out with Anne Rand at a party in college. It was only once. <laughs> that's, that's musky. I, I just feel like that would be musky. Um, atheism was my doctrine. I had no patience with any other creed. And it was this very fact that caused my wife the only unhappiness of which I knew. I loved her with all my heart. She was life itself to me. I would have cut off my right arm for her. Okay. I, I would have been dipped in molten lead for her sake. Now we're getting pretty kinky. 
But to profess belief in religious matters was something I could not do. Not even for her. But I won't do that. (laughs) At least the way in which she wanted. She tried to show me the way for years, but something in me wouldn't agree. I was honest enough to tell her the truth. I simply didn't believe. The beast in me, I guess. He laughed mirthlessly and continued. Now it is possible I was wrong. I'm not sure now I was. At any rate, I always spoke what was in my heart. I said that I was an infidel until a few nights ago. I don't know what I am now. The very night I underwent this change, I read in the evening paper that your last appeal had failed and that you were to die Friday. And then I thought of an idea. That's why I came to see you. Mopping his forehead with a hand that trembled slightly, he continued. I was visited by my wife the other night. Lankford looked at him suspiciously. Visited by your wife, he exclaimed. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? Dr. Rowling shook his head. Indeed, I'm not crazy. I insist that I was visited by my wife. Spiritually, I mean. But also biblically, I did finish. <laughs> this, is just, this is what inspired that scene from Ghostbusters. If you don't know what scene I mean, rewatch Ghostbusters. I know what scene you mean. <laughs> he was silent a moment gazing steadily at the floor. Suddenly he turned to the prisoner. She came to me while I was asleep, he continued, his voice filled with emotion. Seemed to come in a sort of mist. See, just like Ghostbusters. And (laughs) she went down to my crotch and suddenly I was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Busted makes me feel good. Uh, (laughs) Laid her hands on my face and, and smiled. I can almost feel her touching me now. Like a ghost masseuse. (laughs) He rose and strode up and down the cell nervously. A moment later, he seemed to steady himself and resumed his seat. It was so natural that I can see it now, he continued. It seemed that I was looking at a great black cloud, which opened suddenly. A dazzling light came through, and I, I saw her standing there. And she was just 17. You know what I mean. She came closer and closer and finally touched me. She spoke to me. I hope you'll believe after this, you'll believe after this, dear, was all she said. And then I awoke. You can never imagine how I felt. I was shaking like a leaf. My very being seemed stirred to its foundation. I can't understand what has come over me. Ordinarily, I would have laughed at such a thing as a mere dream taking hold of me like that. Since that night, it has preyed on my mind constantly. I've tried to forget. With so, so many hookers. <laughs> I, I, I can't. The picture of my wife before me seems to haunt me. I've got to do something. I must. And that's why I am here. I can't understand, Dr. Rowling, said Langford, a trace of bitter sarcasm in his tone. Why should you select me to hear all this? What good can I do? I have something like four days to my credit. What do you mean by coming to me? What did you mean by saying you could, uh, you would cheat the chair? I said I was going to speak frankly, answered the doctor, and I have. Now I want to make you a proposition. Menage à toi de la fantôme. Oh, la la. He rose and strode to the door, peeping up and down the hall. 
Making sure that no one was near, he returned to Langford. It's probably a brutal offer, he said. However, it should appeal to you as your last chance is gone. <laughs> Comforting. <laughs> Which would you prefer? To go to the chair and be electrocuted by the state? Or die as a result of heart failure? Uh, hmm. um, take, take the box. Take the box. Langford drew his breath with a rasping sound and looked at Dr. Rowling quickly. Good lord, man, he faltered. What do you mean? Oh, it's a, it's just a fun game. Or how about this? Who wins in a fight of a hundred penguins versus a woolly mammoth? We all win in that fight. I'll explain briefly, returned the doctor. I don't know exactly how to put it. As I told you, I'm a self-confessed infidel. Now I want to try and prove that I'm wrong. In the first place, you'll agree that it's better than to go through the tortures of the chair. Um, see, I, this is just this is just an Edison propaganda piece disguised as a story of a ghost sexual awakening. Topsy, no, don't electrocute Topsy. <laughs> Langford nodded. Then I'll enable you to die like that, said Dr. Rowling, on condition that you will come back and communicate with me in some manner. Semaphore, pig Latin, thieves can't, you choose. I don't care how you do it. Just so you'll be able to tell, let me know there's something after this life. Reaching into a pocket, he produced a small file containing a greenish liquid. This is a secret preparation, he said. One of a number I've discovered. It's basically NyQuil and lab-grade taurine. It produces two kinds of sleep. First, natural sleep, and then the sleep that knows no awakening. And then the sleep where you dream you're back in high school, and finally the sleep of triple-dose Ambien, which is pretty fucking wild, man. <laughs> if you accept my offer, I'll give you this bottle. Simply drink it. In a few minutes you'll feel drowsy. That's all there is to it. That's all there is? Well... Plus, you'll be dead, but, I mean, that, that's basically it. Details. The poison will be completely absorbed by your system, so that the most rigid investigation will reveal nothing. Which is admittedly more of a pro for my team than yours. <laughs> a, strained silence, a strained silence followed as the doctor ceased. Langford stared straight ahead, breathing heavily. His hands were tightly clenched showing white along the knuckles. He swallowed frequently. Dr. Rowling's hand shook like palsy as he returned the file to his pocket. His face was pale as he looked at Langford for an answer. Good God! quavered the flatter suddenly, bursting into a hysterical laugh which caused a shiver to run over the doctor. Yes, that's what we're trying to find out, man. Good God or not! <laughs> You know, I, I do want to point out that I don't know if the writer really used the right phrase and the uh, shiver run over the doctor. No, like that's not. <laughs> just saying it's not the most tasteful choice of turn. Oh, of you mean like uh, uh, the car ran over his wife, the shiver <laughs> runs over the doctor? <laughs> exactly. Not so loud, cautioned Dr. Rowling. You might attract attention. I'm supposed to be here to examine you in the interest of my profession. Nothing else. What is your answer? 
give it to me, whispered Langford hoarsely, a wild look in his eyes. I'll do anything that would keep me out of the chair. You promise that after death, if possible in any way, you'll come back and communicate with me, asked Dr. Rowling as he handed the file over. Now you won't run off with your little ghost friends and forget, will you? Langford nodded affirmatively. I'll admit that I am a coward, said the doctor, but I'm anxious to bring this thing to a test. Yeah, and hey, if it doesn't work, maybe we market it as a very effective lethal injection drug. Uh, sorry, that is insensitive. We. <laughs> I want to know if I've been wrong all these years. Possibly I've done enough already to merit eternal punishment. I don't know. I'm still doubtful. By giving you this poison, I'm really doing a good deed. <laughs> wow, you, you really jumped to full Mangala there. I'm just going to say, do not ask this doctor to help you move, because his <laughs> definition of a good deed is not going to work out for you. The state will get its pound of flesh. It ought not to object. Why are you doing all this? Why are you so anxious to know if there is a hereafter? Asked Langford huskily. If I've been wrong, life won't be worth a row of pins to me, stated the doctor calmly. Well, I'm not familiar with a row of pins, but it seems like a pretty low bar. <laughs> My wife was everything to me. Nothing else matters. If I believe now that she is somewhere waiting for me, I would take my own life today. See, but. see there. I know he's new to the religion thing, but I think he might have gotten a little mixed up on the afterlife regulations. Well, there could be a comment involved, Alan. Okay, sure. But I am afraid. I want to make sure. That's the whole thing. It is your duty to let me know. Let me suggest that you wait a little while. Or at least a day or so, the doctor said as he, as he rose to go. It might look suspicious if your death occurs too soon after my visit. <laughs> <laughs> Have I mentioned how cowardly I am? Really, look, you'll be doing the state a favor, you'll be doing me a favor. Come on, what do you got to lose? Come oh, on. Right. The Thursday after... Uh, <clears throat> Langford did not answer. He sat with his face, cupped in his hands, staring at the floor as the door closed behind the doctor. Perfectly rational, said Dr. Rowling to the warden as they shook hands, but in a highly nervous state as a natural result of what he's gone through. Yes, um, my diagnosis is that he might just uh, spontaneously die of pure nervousness and 24 to 48 hours. That's just a professional guess. <laughs> the Thursday afternoon paper contained a vivid account of Langford's death in the state penitentiary. Dr. Rowling read the item eagerly. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. I'm eagerly, I said. <laughs> eagerly. Ooh. Ooh, is he dead? Did he die? Oh, I can't, I can't wait. How vivid would the account be? He was just found dead in his cell. It's as vivid as they can sell papers with. <laughs> a shaded light, which threw its rays straight down and cast a dim glow about the room, illuminated the study. Death was due, ran the account, to heart failure, according to the investigation held this morning. The prisoner was perfectly normal when seen about nine o'clock last night. 
A careful examination of the body showed that death was caused by nothing other than natural causes. Just minutes before a call from the governor offering a reprieve due to new DNA evidence. Lankford was to be electrocuted Friday morning, having been convicted of murder in the first degree at the last term of court. Dr. Rowling laid the paper aside. Silence reigned, save for the ticking of a small clock on the mantel. Occasionally, the cutout of an automobile sounded from the street, or the distant wail of a locomotive was faintly audible. Suddenly, a knock sounded at the door. Dr. Rowling started and sat upright. Come in, he called. The door opened slowly. Before him stood Amos Slankford. Even in the dim light, Dr. Rowling recognized him instantly. He tried to cry out. The word stuck in his throat. Langford! He gasped. The form in the doorway seemed to nod slightly. That's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> the answer seemed to paralyze the doctor for a moment. Then, with a quick motion, he reached into his pocket and brought forth a small file, similar to the one given Langford. The liquid in this container, however, was of a brown color. Now let's see. Poison of brown, drink it down. No, it didn't didn't come up with another color one real quick there. A <laughs> uh, pink and doesn't stink? Uh, yeah. I don't think that's how that goes. Placing it to his lips, he swallowed quickly. A moment later, he slumped forward in the chair. That's just how it happened, he concluded to the officer. When I opened the door, he looked at me like I was a ghost. He said something and then jerked the bottle out of his pocket and drank what was in it. Must have been terrible. He was dead when I got to him. But my name? Langford is my name. Adrian Langford. Oh. I understand Dr. Rowling visited my brother at the penitentiary a couple of days before he died. Oh, well, I guess I forgot to cue up the Price is Right loser horn there. Let's see. Dun, 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 dun. The end. Oh, boy. Where you know, Rob? (laughs) So, what'd you think? Well, uh, that's a twist that kind of just got slotted down at the end. Now, why was his brother going back to visit the doctor that had seen him at the penitentiary. Well, I mean, this was the twenties. People were, yeah. they, people were a little more sophisticated back then. Okay. They were more polite. And so are you saying he was leaving his, his calling card for, uh, the doctor to come over and be introduced to society? Yeah. It was, I think it was just generally a nice, Thank you. I, I heard you uh, ran some mental tests on my brother. Right. And uh, I just really want to thank you for giving him some solace in his last few days of life. And the beams are having a ball. We would so desire your company. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we learned much from that story, except uh, I suddenly have a craving for an O. Henry candy bar. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I get it. What's, all right. What uh, was the moral of the story then? Uh, the moral of the story is, uh, oh, geez, there's so many morals to learn. Number one is you should always lock your door so that you have a moment <laughs> to, 
to gather yourself before immediately assuming that somebody is a ghost. Okay. Um, number two is why did there have to be a drug driver that killed her when she stepped out from behind a streetcar and it could have just been someone who didn't see her? Um, that's not really immoral. That's more just uh, bad writing. Okay. Um, I think that's part of the um, uh, the uh, scaremongering around uh, automobiles during that that period. The uh, the rule of the road going from uh, from uh, pedestrians to the automobile. Maybe maybe this is one of those stories. You know, the government secretly paid for to be put into magazines in order to raise awareness of automobile issues and, of course, the afterlife. <laughs> yes maybe that is it's a good use of funds in the 20s okay. couldn't drink you know what i think the moral of the story is that uh, i just i think god's just a big ashton kutch fan wants to bring <laughs> wants him to bring back punked enough of this venture capital bullshit yeah, that's not why i put you on this earth ak tonight on radio freedom we present punked <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Um, You got anything else to add, Alan? No, I'm good. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's tale and tune in next week for another exciting interrupted. Well, actually, I think that probably. Tale.